0: Brandon, we've got Mike on the line here. What do you want to ask him?
1: If you had to start all over and you had limited capital resources, what would be your strategy initially for sourcing capital? And what uh, would you be looking at as far as investment criteria?
2: I would say go secure a property, put the deal together, and go find the funding. I always look at it like this. You got a good real estate deal, the money's going to show up. I always have done that first. Well, I'll go find a property, I'll secure a property, I'll put it under contract. And how how would I find funding today? I would just start talking to everybody and asking everybody how they feel about real estate investing. And do they have a piece of real estate in their retirement portfolio?
0: Today we bring in experienced investor Mike Mirowski and aspiring investor Brandon Rood. Keep listening for tips on first deal criteria and to understand why it's so important to have an exit plan when you're buying an apartment complex. And now this show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm super excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two amazing people on the line with us. We've got a man with a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Mike Morawski, and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Brandon Root. First, let's talk about Mike. He's a 30 plus year real estate investment veteran. He controlled over 285 million dollars in real estate transactions. He's an entrepreneur, author, real estate trainer, public speaker, and personal coach with strong personal resilience and a deep desire to help others live an extraordinary life. He's coached hundreds of real estate investors to fulfill their dreams. And that said, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Brian. I appreciate being here. Yeah, this is this is fun. I mean, we we talked just about a week ago, according an episode of your podcast, Insider Secrets. You know, so it, it's fun to it's fun to learn a little bit more about you now and, and hear your side of the story. Speaking of, um, do you want to tell our guests a little bit about your podcast first?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I do a I do a weekly podcast called Insider Secrets. I try to find uh, people from three different walks in the multifamily space. So the multifamily investor, and then the property manager, so the operation side, and Mm -hmm. then also anybody who helps facilitate those. So attorneys, insurance people, uh, lenders. And the goal over the next year is going to be to compile a bunch of data. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to turn around and write three books at the end of next year. Oh nice uh, one on each one of those sections, so we're kind of revamping it right now, and it's really the strategy that we've put together and the flow is gonna work out really well, so yeah. matter of fact, uh, your episode's are not gonna run till January. We decided, mm-hmm. so I know we had kind of talked about that, but you're gonna
0: run uh the first week of January still so. nice, nice uh this episode right now is scheduled for you know mid December so that ends up working out okay because people, you know, will get yeah. this mid-December and they'll be rip roaring ready to go in, in January. So um, well, that's that's good. And you know, it's a podcast with a purpose. So you're you're doing it deliberately to help you write some books. And speaking of books, you know, just for all the listeners, you know, Mike has a giveaway for us at the end that involves another book. So stay tuned, listen all the way to the end. He's, he's going to give uh, an offer to everybody here. So that's it. Hey, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your history in, in the multifamily arena? Yeah, sure. So, uh,
2: you know, I've been in the industry for about 30 years mm-hmm. and I entered the industry as a real estate sales agent selling residential properties. And, you know, Brian, I've always been of the opinion that success leaves clues. So when I went into the business, I really didn't know anything about real estate sales or sales at all. And what I wanted to do was find out uh, from somebody who was successful how to go be successful. Mm -hmm. So I sought out a local real estate agent who had helped me on a couple of foreclosures that I had done and uh, asked him, I said, Todd, you know, could I come and shadow you for a couple of days and find out what you're doing to be as successful as you are? He said, you know, Mike, I'll, I'll do something better than that for you. Now, I'm going to date myself here because he said, I'll make you a cassette tape. Mm-hmm. So he recorded me a cassette tape that I listened to continuously for a few months and took all this information in. And in my first eight months in real estate sales, I went out and sold 78 properties all in the for sale by owner market. And I believe those techniques today still are effective in that business as well as if you're an investor, looking to find off-market deals. So those techniques really work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sold residential for about 15 years, built a team. We were selling uh, about 125 listings a year. And in 2005, decided to go into the apartment business. And Brian, what I always tell people is I didn't wake up one morning and just decide to go into the apartment business. Mm -hmm. It was something I had a fascination about for years. I watched a couple of large syndicators in the Chicago market grow their business. One, as a matter of fact, is the largest retail syndicator in the world today. Mm-hmm. And I understood the model. Hey, very simple raise private equity, find a real estate deal, marry the two, run them, operate them, and everybody makes money. So in 2005, I went and syndicated my first apartment deal. It was 11 units. Mm-hmm. From there, we raised $18 million in 30 months, bought $60 million worth of real estate, and it was about 4,000 apartments in five different states. Wow. Built a property management company, managed around 10,000 units, unwound those deals, and built another property management company, which I sold and brings me to today, which is I'm a coach and a trainer Mm -hmm. and love giving back to others. So-
0: yeah. I mean that that's that's a lot. I mean you're talking about, you know, mid 2000s, so you know when you look at the, the dollar price today, you said 18 million dollars in, in how long? 30 months. So 30 months. It, yeah, so we very
2: rapidly and I think it was a time in the market where people were looking for a place to put capital. Yep. And it it was interesting how we raised that capital
0: and where those people came from. So, it, yeah. 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 Now, what, what, did you, what did you see was most effective at raising capital back then? And, and do you think that's still effective today? Yeah, I believe it's effective. It's an educational process.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So two
2: things that were really prominent back then. First of all, I entered into the syndication business with a database of maybe 250 people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: went from there and built a database of about 7,000 people. And what we did was we just, we used email this was long before social media, right? There was no Facebook. I think it was MySpace or something, which was yep. nothing back then, right? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> You're laughing, Brandon. I think yeah. that's great. But so we, I had a MySpace account. I mean, still, uh, not still. <laughs> I had had a MySpace. You know, now I, I was. I, I picked a lot of losers lately. You know, MySpace and Facebook came out about the same time. I chose MySpace. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so. But I emailed, and Mm -hmm. what I did
2: was I did a training seminar. I taught people how to invest in real estate. I did Mm -hmm. two seminars a week on a Tuesday and a Thursday. I put 20 people in a conference room twice a week, brand new faces, and I grew it from there. Mm -hmm. Then, what else we did was Donald, this was back, Donald Trump used to have these real estate seminars. Mm -hmm. He had them in LA, New York, Dallas, Chicago, and we, I went and had a table or a booth at these real estate seminars for a weekend. It cost me about twenty five thousand dollars for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I did one in L.A., I did one in Dallas, I did one in Chicago, and I grew my database to seven thousand people as a result of it. I probably raised five or six million dollars as a result of spending a hundred thousand dollars on those seminars.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's something that we're we're looking at right now is you know how much money do we spend for for a person? You know, and what, what what's it gonna end up getting for us? And so for a twenty five thousand dollar table, and I think a lot of people would shy away from that. Yeah. you know, hundred thousand dollars led to several million dollars in in commitments for your real estate deals. I, I think proof's in the pudding there. You know, sometimes sometimes you got to spend a lot on advertising to be able to bring a lot of money in, and that that was true for you. But here's the deal today: you can
2: do so much for free. Yeah. On social media with enough content and the, and the right content to the right audience, you can, you can do so much and tailor your message where you don't have to spend that kind of money
0: today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's true. That is definitely true. Well, interesting. So let's peel back the, the onion a little bit. Let's focus on your why or your motivation. Go a little deeper. You know, why do you do what you do? because um, i 'm
2: different <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I used to do what I did because mm-hmm. I wanted to make money yeah. that was that was my goal that was my dream uh but you know what i 've made money and now it 's because of of being able to do something different. So I'm in the coaching and training space because today it helps me. I enjoy when I see somebody else become successful mm-hmm. and I see somebody else achieve something. It's not about the money anymore. Oh, today it's not about the money. It's about the journey and who I become and have become as a person along the way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, nothing ever always goes smoothly. You're going to have struggles and you're going to have triumphs along the way, but it's how do you get to the triumph out of the struggle? You know, one of the things I say in my bio is that I'm resilient, right? And where's that resilience come from? I mean, you have to dig way down. So you really discover who you are, but more so when I can take somebody who's a brand new investor or somebody trying to go to the next level and help them do that, get in the market or go to the next level, I've
0: really accomplished what I really want to accomplish. And that's just giving back. Yeah. Yeah. that, that That's an important thing. It's something that, uh, you know, my my parents instilled with us early on was, was being able to give back. And, you know, some, something I realized, you know, later on in my life is you have to have something to be able to give to give back. When you've had phenomenal experiences, a lot of success, and you're able to take that those experiences and that success and be able to help other people do exactly the same thing and that's, that's extremely commendable. So, well good. So let's, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the properties you've done or your your kind of investment criteria what what you would look for in properties and how you'd go about the uh, the purchase of the properties.
2: Great question. Yeah. You know, when I first got in the business, I don't I didn't have any criteria. I didn't have a buying standard. I just knew I wanted to buy apartments but I didn't know what that looked like. And I had a broker at the time who was relatively new in the business, uh, had done a bunch of deals, and mm-hmm. he really didn't know a whole lot more than me. And I think he and I kind of both learned a lot along the way. He might not admit that today, but I, looking back on it, I think that, that that's kind of true. So what I would do is, by that first deal, I listened to what the seller said, well, the seller said, "Hey, it's a great market, and the uh, rents are under underrated, and you'll be able to raise the rents, and if you do these repairs." And I really bought into the seller's story, right? Mm-hmm. And something I learned to do is not buy into the seller's stories. <laughs> so yeah. I, I buy this first deal, and you know, it's like, "Oh God, we're going to crash and burn." Before I knew it, I was a don't wanter and couldn't give the thing away. Mm-hmm. But what it taught me was to build a buying criteria. And mm-hmm. to, buy sta- to build standards around what was important. Yep. So things like, you know, really do the due diligence and look at the traps. You know, what is the market like? What are the schools like? What is the population growth like? What are the demographics like? What is the unit mix like? You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't want anything that's that doesn't have 65% two bedrooms or more. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure it's got pitched roofs today. And yep. that all the apartments are interior entrances, not exterior. And I want to make sure that I have, uh, you know, um, good curb appeal and things that are pleasant to the eyesight. Yeah. So a lot of these are are, are buying criteria that I kind of built along the way, and I I had a list of about twenty of them mm-hmm. in different categories, mm-hmm. everything from. Uh, curb appeal to what the cap rate was and you know price per unit on the properties were because I knew that if I went in at a certain price per unit I'd be able to come out at a certain price per unit. Mm-hmm. This goes back to exit planning, right? Yep. So I, I can't I can't plan a good exit unless I know how I'm gonna get in. Yep. So markets were real important, product class, product type
0: real important. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, you, you bring up the point exit plan. You know, I'll, I'll just uh, hammer in on that one. I mean, if, if you were to invest in multifamily in 2012 or 2015, you could argue that you almost didn't need an exit plan. You know, the, the market was going up, cap rates were going down, you know, a lot of good things were happening. People who had no business being in the apartment business were making millions of dollars yeah. because of the, the economic tailwinds that were blowing. But now I, th- I think we're at a point right now where cap rates are are extremely low, extremely compressed. Um, can they go further? Maybe a little bit, but you know I think right now the exit plan is going to be so much more important than maybe it was two, three, or five years ago.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's my book is called Exit Plan: mm-hmm. Everything You Need to Know About Investing in Multifamily and Why You Need an Exit Plan Before You Buy.
1: Yeah.
2: I. I wrote it because I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years on coaching and training and books mm-hmm. and tapes. And you know, I've read a thousand books in my life. And here's, the, here's the, what I've always learned. I've always learned how to get in a deal, how mm-hmm. to find a deal, how to get in it, how to operate it. But nobody ever has taught me how to get out. Yeah. And when you look at it, you need to know how to get out. You need to know when to get out. And getting out doesn't always mean that you're selling or liquidating or giving up control. It just might mean you're changing ownership. It might mean that you're changing structure, that you're refinancing. There's a number of different ways to exit a deal and mm-hmm. give up control or not give up control.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: And there are things that, that we all need to look at as an investor walking into a deal.
0: Mm-hmm. So in, in today's market, you know, what, what are the factors you think one should look at when doing an exit plan?
2: Well, I think you need to start with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Stephen Covey in his book, Seven, yep. uh, Seven Habits, wrote a long time ago, always start with the end in mind. I think that was the second chapter in the book. But I need to know what I want on the back. So do I want a, a 20% 25% return? What do I what do I want my IRR to look like? What do I want my return on investment to look like? Where do I want to be able to get my capital out? Mm-hmm. You know, if I look at a deal today and I put a spreadsheet together and it's a 10-year run on a deal, I can see that maybe in year 7, mm-hmm. it makes sense to dump the property and not hold it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Because of the equity squeeze and the buy down and mm-hmm. everything else that comes in at that point, right? There's yep. like a perfect storm that happens somewhere along the way. Maybe at that point, all I do is recapitalize, pull mm-hmm. my capital out, hold on to the deal and run for another 10 years. Yep. So what happens if I, if I look at a plan like that and run it, run the numbers that would tell me that? Mm-hmm. So I think looking at it today, you want to know where your profitability is going to be. Where do you have to get out? What do your investors want to see if you're syndicating the deal?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do your tenants want to see? What do I have to do as far as going in and doing CapEx and upgrades and repairs?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So and yeah. and with pro you know, you you mentioned it earlier with properties being so the cap rates being so compressed right now you know, can they go lower? Anything can happen, Brian, but, mm-hmm. you know, will they? I don't know. I don't know if the investor population will let it happen.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that's something interesting that I, I've recently realized with, with low cap rates, you know, obviously it makes your prices higher, but at the same time, if you look at the, the valuation formula, you know, the value is the NOI divided by the cap rate. When you have a low cap rate, each dollar of NOI counts a lot more towards purchase price, you know, and that that's something that's actually beneficial for lower cap rates. You know, once when, when you're purchasing is you bring an extra dollar of NOI to the table, that's going to amplify your, your overall value a little bit more. So obviously, you know, a lot of people are looking at these lower cap rates and thinking, you know, it's it's less of a good deal for you. In a lot of ways, it's actually better for you, if you're, especially if you're doing value add projects. Yeah. Well interesting. So tell us what's what's next for you and, and for you, your company. So my core intentions is a coaching and
2: training platform. What's next for us? Like I, I said, you know, Insider Secrets is is my podcast. Mm-hmm. The goal is as we get into 2022, mm-hmm. will be to write three books based on the data that we mm-hmm. compile over 2021. The goal is to help a bunch of new investors come into the market. I like to teach new investors how they can create short-term cash flow and long-term wealth in small multifamily, mm-hmm. whether that's on the residential side or the l- under 100 units on the commercial side. And then there's that transition, right? So it's like playing Monopoly where, you know, you buy four houses, put them on boardwalk or park place, (laughs) cash them in, buy a hotel and do it again. That's what, that's my whole philosophy behind coaching and training is how do we take people and teach them to build their portfolio, cash it in and go build a bigger portfolio? Because all in all, that's what a lot of people want to do is they want to accomplish that, you know? Yeah. I think I find two different types of investors out there. How many units can I own or how much is my NOI overall mm-hmm. right? so uh, they kind of run hand in hand, but can, how do we teach people how to do that so yeah you know, I have a thirteen step system that I continually try to perfect and you know build into people with so
0: mm-hmm. well good good yeah I, i've I've been on your your website quite a few times you know I think I think you have a quality product that you're offering you definitely have the experience you have the know how. So, you know, I'd encourage anyone listening to this, you know, check check out mycoreintentions.com. We'll talk about a little bit about that later. But anyway, I'm excited to see how these books turn out. That said, let's introduce our aspiring investor now. We've got Brandon Rude on the line. Uh, he was born and raised in central Wisconsin, and he's currently active duty Air Force officer stationed in Hawaii. Graduated from the University of Wisconsin and earned his commission with the Air Force in 2016. He's got an analytical background in military intelligence combined with a success in sales that led to a unique passion for real estate investing. And he's got a longtime friend and business partner, Max, that you'll probably see on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, We've been trying to bring him on too. But that said, Brandon, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Brian, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah, appreciate you, and I appreciate your service as well. You know, Air Force still kind of good, I guess. <laughs> no, you
1: know, that... Brian, my my dad and my uncle were were both in the Marine Corps, so uh yeah.
0: <laughs> You know,
1: I, I appreciate um, your service too.
0: Yeah, I, I say that say that tongue in cheek. You know, for anyone listening, there's inner service rivalries, but uh, you know, truly, <laughs> I, I truly do appreciate your service. My father-in-law and my uncle have both uh, served in the Air Force, and. You know, there's no no unimportant service. So, that's right. Um, that said, let's let's dive into your background and your history a little bit. Tell us who Brandon Root is.
1: Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, and I've got actually some family in Lake Bluff, Mike. I'm sure you know where that's at, in a northern Chicago suburb. Uh, love the Chicago area, and my uncle that lives in Chicago actually, uh, he's an entrepreneur, retired uh, out of the army, and he really inspired me to to be an entrepreneur in life and uh, and to to serve as well. So. That's one of the main reasons why I joined the Air Force was uh, him recommending me to do that, and uh, I originally got picked up to be a combat systems officer, which is like a back seat fighter jet or, or navigator. Um, that that's what Max is, is he was a navigator in the in the B fifty two, and that's that's where we met actually, it was in training in Pensacola. We sort of had a shared vision of where we wanted to go in life. You know, use the Air Force as a stepping stone to serve and and then uh, uh, learn learn as much as we can and move on from there. And that's what our plan is. You know, we're we're focusing on uh, smaller apartment complexes and acquisitions and and moving our way up and and using that as a a long-term, you know, wealth solution for our our families. And and also, we see it as a multifaceted return, not just on the money side, but also we like the idea of improving our our local communities as well. You know, Max is born and raised in Ohio, and he's working with his dad on regentrifying some complexes and in Cincinnati in an area that's burgeoning. And and we like seeing that bringing the community up as well as ourselves and and our investors.
0: Yeah. You know, you bring up some good points. I mean, when you, when you're investing in multifamily, you're, you're helping a lot of people, you know, you're helping the investors who go along with you. You're helping you yourself, your family and potentially use that the profits to help more people down the road and giving back. But you're also providing clean, safe living spaces for a whole lot of people at the same time, you know? So it's something that going back to Mike mentioned Stephen Covey's book, you know, that it's the win, win, win scenarios is, is what we're creating a lot here. So right. I think that was habit number six, think win, win, but you know, that's it. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your why or your, your motivation, your big burning why.
1: Yeah. You know, actually I, I grew up uh, lower income, you know, uh, mid, mid Wisconsin. Life and uh, always aspiring to to get to the next level. Seeing my uncle do it in North Chicago was really my my big inspiration, and finding a method to to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in Intel training and in Goodfellow Air Force Base in the middle of Texas, you know, I'm like, I've I've got to find a way to to bring myself to the next level, and kind of like Mike, you know, uh, Max and I are at the point where we're focusing on on making money, right? So we can get to that next level where we can inspire other people and teach other people. And so I picked up. You know, rich dad, poor dad for the first time. I'd read other books about real estate and. I think like so many other people that was the fire, you know, under my butt so to speak to mm-hmm. to really get moving on the cash flow aspect, getting out of the rat race so to speak. Um so that's my my real why and and also securing a a multifaceted investment strategy mm-hmm. um so that way my my wife and I can, you know, live without without worry. Uh like like my parents did as far as like can we get food on the table. You know, that that's something that I don't I don't want to have for for my family or for my children in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Well, good. Well, Brandon, we've got Mike on the line here. What do you want to ask him?
1: Well, you know, you, you teach a lot of people like me, Mike, how to how to get into the into the business more successfully. And uh one thing I'm interested in is is if you had to start all over, especially right now, and you had limited capital resources, limited access to to individuals with capital. What would be your strategy initially, and for for sourcing capital? And what what uh, would you be looking at as far as uh, investment criteria, multifamily criteria?
2: Yeah, great questions, Brandon. And and first, let me say thanks for your service, and and you too, Brian. I know that uh, it's you guys that give us the ability to be able to continue to do what we all do. So thank you. I think that I look at it from two standpoints, Brandon. First, if a new investor is coming into the market, never done anything before, wants to get involved in multifamily, and even if somebody's coming in as a single family investor, I try to encourage them to go into the multifamily arena. And, you know, the common word today or the hot word is house hack, right? So mm-hmm. let's buy a three unit or a four unit building. Let's live in a unit, rent the rest, get some on-the-job experience, the experience to take the deal down, do some due diligence, do some operations. How do we rent it? How do we deal with tenants? And then grow from there over that year, year and a half that you live in there. That'd be one way. The other way is if somebody has been in the market, they've done some real estate investing, I would say go secure a property, put the deal together, and go find the funding. I always look at it like this you got a good real estate deal, the money's going to show up. So I never, and I always have done that first. Well, I'll go find a property. I'll secure a property. I'll put it under contract. And I know it's a little bit more difficult in today's market because people are going hard in 24 hours and writing mm-hmm. you know, hard contracts within the first few days. And we used to have a little bit more time. And I think that that time will come back. I think we're going to see that again here shortly where there'll be some flexibility in how fast you have to move mm-hmm. but i would go secure a deal and i would go find funding after i secured the deal so and how how would i find funding today i would just start talking to everybody and asking everybody how they feel about real estate investing and do they have a piece of real estate in their retirement portfolio
1: Okay. And when when you initially started out, so you already had a, a experience with with real estate as you said and and a small pool of investors. So going going to the um the Trump events that that was your your main way of attracting investors initially.
2: Not initially. No, that was probably about a year in. So Okay. What I did in the beginning was I went to my database, which wasn't much. It was only about 250, 260 people to begin with. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made when I first went in the real estate business, and I don't know if it was because I didn't know or because I was never taught or missed the lesson, but I had a churn and burn business where I picked the phone up. I prospected all day long, but I never kept names and numbers. And even on past clients and sales I did, I never kept past numbers. And I learned that lesson when I walked in a grocery store one day, ran into a past client and she said, oh, you'll have to come over and see our new house. And I thought, your new house? I thought I was your realtor, you know? So <laughs> we learn these lessons the hard way, but I went to that database and I beat that database. Here's, here's a key, always ask for referrals. So if I tell you no, ask me who I know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. And that's, that's been a way that Max and I have started talking to a lot of people, how we met Brian actually through, through another contact, uh, Julie Peterson. And, and so it's a great way, great way to meet people. Great advice.
0: Yeah, referrals Um, has worked really well for us too. And I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. I mean that just because you get a no from somebody or a not now from somebody always ask that question, you know, Hey, is there somebody you know that could benefit from what we're doing or there's somebody, you know, that's interested in real estate. And we've asked that question a lot and that's brought us a lot of, a lot of investors. Yeah, for sure.
1: Hey Mike, I've got another question. Uh, when, when you started off investing in multifamily, were you focused primarily in, in Chicago land or were you, uh, were you looking at other areas mm-hmm. of the country or doing long-term or long distance uh, investing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question too. So my first deal I bought in Chicago and that was part of, part of that whole issue was I didn't do enough due diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, the price price, a price per pound in Chicago at the time was about $100,000. The market was crazy. And I learned very quickly that I wasn't going to make money in that market at that price per unit. So one of the things on the buying criteria was I needed to be in a all-in price range of about seventy-five to 85000 my all-in cost. So I went to markets in the Ohio Valley. You know, you talk about, uh, I think you talked about Cincinnati. I was in Cleveland, Indianapolis, Decatur. So if you looked on a, on a map, that Ohio Valley sector is probably had about 1800 units in that market, in that market. And then some in Alabama, Northern Alabama, Mm -hmm. Huntsville, and then in the Dallas, Fort Worth market was where I had my biggest footprint. But that's where I found that I could buy. And and all in at about $80,000, make a good cash on cash return. And when I went to do a full spin on the deal and get out, we were able to capitalize on the sale sale end as well and leave enough meat on the bone for the buyer coming in, which I see that, you know, and I don't mean to jump in here again, but I see that as being difficult with the way cap rates are today. Mm -hmm. If you're going into a deal thinking that you've got a value add, but you want to leave some meat on the bone for the buyer on the other side, that's a difficult transition today, I think. Only because you've got to do so much to bring a property back to market status today.
0: And and quite frankly, if, if you leave meat on the bone, you end up getting more returns on your money because those are the properties that get bid up a little bit higher and that are sold more on future earnings than they're sold on present earnings. So- That's a that's a tricky, tricky space to be in where you're value adding yourself, but you're still allowing the next person to come in and value add for sure like that.
1: I've got one last question for, for Brian and Mike here, when you're looking at uh, exit strategies and talking to your investors, how do you find the balance between doing what you think is best as the asset manager and what your investors think is best really, really for them and, and finding that, uh, that balance of trying to sell them something versus convincing them, this is the best thing for, for the uh, holding company.
2: So one thing that I always do is I don't give up that control. So as an investor, you know, my structures were always, hey, my investors had the lion's portion of everything, but they did not have an opportunity to partake in the day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't calling them up about, hey, you know what, we need some more landscaping done over here, or the gates broke, and we need to get a new motor for the gate. I, I was they they had a thirty thousand foot view of the capex and what we were putting in our offering memorandum of what we were going to go in and do. Here, for instance, I had a property, 450 units we went in and bought. We knew we had to put about 900, almost a million dollars in CapEx money into it. Mm-hmm. We laid that out in the original Performa. When we got in the deal, we found there was, there was about another $250,000. I didn't go back to my investors and say, hey, we have to do this just because it becomes brain damage. So I, I didn't give those voting rights, right? Because- mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to make decisions pretty quickly and, you know, by the time you get a consortium.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you get a committee and you're never going to make decisions, you know, um,
2: I love my investors, but
0: you yeah, know. you know, it, we, we do sim- similar. I mean, we, we set up a, a general partnership, limited partnership and the limited partners don't get a vote, but something that we, we also do is we make sure the structure aligns our interests with the investors interests. Okay. So, we do better if our investors do better, is is basically how we set things up, you know. So when it comes down to, to making a decision on whether or not that property, you know, whether we're going to do X, Y, or Z with a property, you know, it's it's actually really easy to make if you've done a little bit of, of forethought on how do we align what the investors want with what makes us money, you know. And so that that makes makes it a lot easier in a lot of a lot of places. You know, and so one thing that we we don't do is we don't offer a preferred rate of return because I think sometimes that puts investors and the the general partners or the sponsors at kind of a you know opposite end of the spectrum as far as you know what what the um, what the intent is on the property or what the uh, uh, where, where the money flows. So end of the day, yeah, absolutely, you know agree with one hundred percent with what Mike said. You know the limited partners are silent partners; they don't get voting rights. And then you just take it one step further and you align interests between GPs and LPs, and that makes makes things go a lot smoother. Yeah. So, all right, good enough. Uh, anything else you want to ask, Brandon?
1: You know, actually, while you're talking about that, I was thinking about about COVID and the impacts on mm-hmm. multifamily. I know that's you know that's the talk of the town, obviously, and people yeah. are. People are kind of getting sick of it, actually. But but when we're talking about exit strategies and, and refinancing versus sale of the properties. Like Mike was talking about earlier, right now, what are your thoughts on as far as how low interest rates are and and the difficulty of trying to hedge against vacancies or uh, you know bad bad debt on the properties and then um, taking advantage of those uh, low interest rates.
2: I don't think interest rates are going to stay low for a long, longer period of time. I actually listened to um, Ben Bernanke and Nassim Harjani, who's the Marcus Millichap uh, economist, mm-hmm. uh, just this week. And they talked about interest rates coming back up, that they thought something was going to have to happen here in the market. And I know they've been talking about it for a while, but I think it's going to happen. You know, this whole COVID thing, I think the whole world is just kind of on edge, not really knowing what to expect or or where things are going to go. I don't have a good answer. I talked to, you know, like Brian, you know, talked to a lot of people, not only on my podcast, but just a lot of networking and people on LinkedIn and nobody's got an answer. I think it's all speculation at this point, and it's it's a matter of just keep doing what what you're doing as an investor, as an operator, you know, because because there's that investor part, but then there's that operations part, right? And you got to wear both hats simultaneously. So as an operator, you just keep doing what you do best and creating revenue, and I you'll offset that. Yeah
0: yeah i'll I'll just say that one thing that we don't do, we don't build the refinance and return of capital into our numbers because we don't know where interest rates are going to be two to three years from now. I mean, we we could come in and you know paint a rosy picture that we're going to give you know eighty percent of your capital back in two to three years. But since we don't know where rates are going to be, we don't know, I mean, cap rates affect that, and your cap rate and your interest rates, are typically tied together with a spread but you know we don't know what that's going to be like 2 years from now so just to keep things a little more conservative we don't build that into the picture as far as where we do our underwriting and end of the day you know if 2 to 3 years from now we have an opportunity to refinance and rates are still low and we can return 80% of a member's capital we'll absolutely do it but you know since since we don't know where they're going we don't have a crystal ball that that's that's our take on it so you know
2: one one quick thing on that you can always build a hurdle in and you can always tell your investor hey listen if we achieve this this could happen mm-hmm. or if we achieve this this could happen mm-hmm. you know you it never hurts to put a hurdle in or a couple hurdles along the way over a time frame but you're not committing to that happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's a good point. Well, we're, we're about out of time here. So I got one last question for each of you. And then after the questions, you know, Mike, I'll let you get, go ahead and, and let everybody know what the, the free offer is. So, question is, how can the listeners learn more about you? Mike, you first.
2: Sure. That's a great question. And I appreciate you asking. Hey, I just want to say this has been great too. Uh, this is a f- uh, first time I've been on a podcast that's had this format. And I like this. So, this is nice. Thanks. Uh, but you can reach me at my core intentions. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you can directly email me at Mike at my core intentions. And then my phone number, office number is 312-600-8007. You know, I'm open to any questions, any conversation,
0: networking. If you're looking for some coaching or some training, definitely reach out. Okay. And we'll have all that information in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to contact him, you know, hit the show notes. We'll have hyperlinks and the whole nine yards. Brandon, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you?
1: Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me on. It was great to meet you, Mike. Uh, my first time on the podcast and I uh, really enjoyed it. You can actually find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the the easiest way to, to reach out. I'm, I'm really uh uh, enjoying that platform, and, and my my business partner Max Harkavy, who'll probably be on the show soon. He's on there as well, and uh, you know we're we're building building our pages and our our company page RH Capital, and uh, trying to connect with people through there.
0: All right, thanks a lot, and Mike, uh, you know thanks for for being on the show again, and let's let's talk about the uh, free offer you have for the listeners now.
2: Yeah, you bet. So you know we've talked a little bit about exit planning, and I wrote a book called Exit Plan. I mentioned earlier that. You know, years of training and experience had led me down a road that nobody ever taught me how to get out of a deal. And that's what I want to teach people is, you know, structure, planning and how to get out. So feel free to go to my website, mycoreintentions.com and download a free e-version of the book. And you can uh, download that by going to the e-version on the front page and put in the word four oaks. In the coupon code box you'll download for free you'll get your copy for free now if you're somebody like me and you like a book where you can dog tail the uh, the corners or right in the margins or highlight uh, you can get that there as well that won't be a free download but you can get that there as well so
0: awesome now i've already downloaded the book and been thumbing through over the last couple of days it's it's a very thorough book that talks about every part of the syndication process, you know, so uh, I mean, the title's Exit Plan and it talks about exit plan, but it really talks about the whole process from beginning to end. So a great book and definitely encouraging anybody to take advantage of of that free offer. All right. Well, hey, Mike, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you for all you've done. Brian, thanks for
2: having me. I appreciate it. I, you know, look forward to staying in touch and talking to you soon. Thanks a
0: lot. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show. So pull out your phone, tap subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.